0: Welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love cocktails and I love the macabre. So every week I'm bringing you a cocktail recipe in history and some ghost stories. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Welcome, it is March. Can you believe it? I am thrilled. Usually January and February feel like they are hanging on for dear life and drag themselves out. But even with leap day, February has just seemed to fly by and nobody is happier about that than me. Usually like the day after Christmas, I am done with winter. I want to hang myself from a ceiling fan because I just cannot stand the dark and the cold anymore. I really got to figure out how to become a snowbird. Like winters are just not my thing anymore. I'm so just happy this one went quickly. It's March. Like I know March can be have iffy weather and not be warm, warm, but In my brain, it is spring. It's felt like spring the past couple of days, so I've been so happy about that. Like, I'm ready to plant some flowers. Like, I have been looking at flowers, and I'm like, it's too too soon. We can still get frost in April, and they'll all die. So I'm not going to do that, but I'm so ready. Like, these few little nice days we've had this week has just, like, my mental health has vastly improved. (laughs) But that's not what we're here for. We are here to talk about some haunted things. Today, we're going to do Haunted California. But before that, of course, we need a cocktail. And today's cocktail is one of my personal favorites, the Dirty Palmer, or as some more appropriately call it, the John Daly. Like that man is a damn legend. And Arnold Palmer is a mix of half lemonade, half sweet tea named for the golfer himself because it was his favorite drink. He'd often ask his wife to make it for him after he got off the golf course. And this took off in the 1960s when he ordered one at a country club. And a woman who overheard his order said she'd have the Arnold Palmer drink, too. So it just kind of took off. Like, give me an Arnold Palmer. And soon bartenders or just, you know, service workers knew exactly what you wanted. And it didn't originally have alcohol in it. And it's fine without the alcohol. It's a good mix of beverages. But you can add a splash of bourbon to it. And that's what makes it a dirty Palmer. And I really do enjoy it with the bourbon added to it. You don't need a lot, just about two ounces or so, and it's typically served in a highball glass with ice, or you can put it all into a Stanley and take it on the golf course with you. Nobody's going to know. Traditionally, adding vodka to it is an option, and this is the one that's most generally referred to as the John Daly. So it's that sweet tea lemonade blend, throw in about two ounces of a decent vodka, you got yourself a John Daly. Either way, they're refreshing as hell, and it's one of my favorite like summer drinks you just don't really get a lot better than that. And I mean, they have like some pre-made ones too. It's not the same. I don't like the canned cocktail versions of it. I want like homemade lemonade, sweet tea out of a jug is fine. And then I want to throw in my own bourbon. The Evan Williams um bottled in bond is a really, really good for that one. So keep that in the back of your mind. And you might be wondering why I picked this cocktail besides just being a fan of it. And it's because we're going to talk about Haunted California, a state that's very much on my bucket list, full of golf courses, especially Palm Springs. So I'm going to start this out. We'll be back after this break. And I'm going to start out with some Haunted Palm Springs. Hey, guys, are you looking for a fun winter read? If you're a book person, I have two right up your alley. They're not really long reads, they're actually cocktail books. So I wrote two last year. One is called Drinking with the Stars, Cocktails for the Zodiac, where I pair a cocktail with your Zodiac sign. This one is a lot of fun at parties because you can make specific cocktails for your friends too while talking about their sign and like finding a little bit more about their personality. A lot of it'll start making sense. And my second one is called Monster Mixology, where I pair folklore with cocktails. There is everything from vampires, witches, werewolves, to cryptids that one was my favorite actually it came out around halloween last year but it's for all seasons there's summer cocktails there's spring cocktails there's some winter ones and who doesn't love folklore all year round so check those out they are on amazon if you search them by name or if you search as mcnew they should pop up Okay, we are off to California for some haunted spots. Last June, I covered Haunted Hollywood, so I'll be skipping most of the Hollywood haunts and L.A. locations today, but go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet or just want a refresher. It was a fun one. Love Mae West, talked about her a lot, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, lots of good haunts in L.A., I've also previously talked about the Winchester Mansion in San Jose. I had a whole episode dedicated to that one last season, so go check that one out too. I'm going to skip it in today's episode. Today we're going to start with Palm Springs, mid-century modern heaven. God, I would die to just spend a week in Palm Springs so bad. It is like my dream place to live, just a little slice of desert paradise. I mean, it has cacti and palm trees and sunshine and gorgeous mountains off in a distance and most the homes seem to have pools in the backyard. Like, what more could you want? It's, uh, I just think it's stunning. I would love to live there. Um, It has been known to be a playground to the stars. It's a little less than a two-hour drive from LA, so it's the perfect weekend escape for the rich and famous and beautiful. The Triada Hotel was originally built as a private residence, then sold to venture capitalist David Margulies in 1934. It was renovated, then named the Ambassador Apartment Hotel. It was the favorite hangout of the very influential Howard Hughes. He apparently had a preference for room 312. The property was abandoned in 1994, but reopened again around 2014 and is now called the Triada. Howard Hughes apparently still haunts room 312, Triada is currently owned by Marriott and it's part of their autograph collection. It's beautiful with gorgeous views and I checked out their booking site. A king room is only $2.45 per night, which is honestly not that insane. And quite the bargain if you get a chance to run into Howard Hughes himself. I wouldn't be upset about that. The Joshua Tree Inn is home to another famous ghost. Apparently Graham Parsons haunts this place. Parsons died of a drug overdose here in 1973 while staying in room eight. Guests who stay in room eight report small items like earrings and other jewelry being moved about the room when they're out. He also likes to move a mirror that hangs on the wall. The mirror is the only piece of original furniture left in the room from the date he died. The bed and everything else has obviously since been replaced and updated. This one of a This one kind of freaks me out because I'm one of those people who do believe that mirrors can be portals, and old superstitions state that mirrors should be covered up with black cloth if someone dies in the room with one, or they risk their soul being trapped inside the mirror when it exits its body. Like, poor Graham, what if he's just kind of stuck in that mirror? Who knows? La Quinta Resort is located about 30 minutes southeast of Palm Springs and is said to be haunted by a woman in a flowing white gown. They have their own lady in white, and a man in an old-timey hat. One guest even reported feeling a cat run across their bed with them in it, but there was no physical cat to be found. Caroquia Pension sits just west of Cimarron Golf Course, and it's a gorgeous Mediterranean-style structure that was previously a private residence to a silent film star, but later sold and turned into a resort. It's been reported by guests that the former owner's wife now haunts the resort. Guests have often come back to their rooms to find clothes rearranged and have reported cold spots on very hot days. This is like this is the desert. Feeling a cold spot would be quite surprising. I mean, I know their nights can get chilly, but uh, what, a hundred degree day and you're feeling a cold spot? I would definitely think it's something supernatural. This ghost, she's also been seen walking along the roadside on the anniversary of her death. It's kind of sad. Let's move on to some San Diego haunts. I used to work for a company that was headquartered in San Diego, and I can't explain how jealous I was of these people's lifestyles. They're on Pacific time, but worked Eastern hours, like a three-hour time difference. So they were off work by 2 p.m. every day, because it was 5 here, and they had sunshine 90% of the time. Like, I'm struggling to get through January. They're freaking going to the beach. Like, ocean right there, endless activities, the best street tacos and Mexican food you could even dream of. I should just move to California already. Like, it is like California dreamland. I just need to go. I should go. Somebody tell my husband we're moving. But I also can't think of San Diego without thinking of Anchorman. San Diego means Will's vagina. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yes, I think it does. Anyways, I could quote Will Ferrell movies all day, but that's not what I'm here for. We're here for haunted things. Let's start with Thomas Whaley. Thomas Whaley began building his home in May of 1856, and from the get-go, he decided it was going to be grand. It was Greek Revival style, and the bricks he used were created in his very own brickyard on Condé Street. I couldn't imagine a more custom-built home than that. Like, you made your own bricks? (laughs) Like, that is custom, custom. But the land the house was on may have already been dammed before the building even started. A horse thief named Yankee Jim Robinson was hanged there in front of a public audience for his crimes Whaley didn't care about this fact and still decided this was the perfect spot for his dream house when construction was completed the Whaley family moved in and were met with nothing but tragedy and despair starting with their young son Thomas only 18 months old dying of scarlet fever This caused the family much grief, and they left the home and went north to San Francisco, where Whaley set up more stores and grew his business. The family later returned from San Diego about 10 years later, and I should note who the family consisted of. So there is Thomas Whaley, father, home builder, husband to Anna, and they had a total of five children. There was small Thomas, who had died, a daughter named Anna Amelia, and three more children, George, Violet, and Corinne. Upon returning to San Diego, he set up a general store in the downstairs of the home, along with a theater, rented out to acting troops, and the family resided upstairs. That is a shit ton of space. Like, you have room for a store, a theater, and you can live there? Like, house is insane. In 1882, the family hosted a double wedding for daughters Anna, Amelia, and Violet. Two short weeks after the wedding, Violet's husband abandoned her, and she was distraught with heartbreak and also a little embarrassed. She ended up shooting herself in the heart with her father's pistol while inside the Whaley home. Anna, the wife and mother, and another son died inside the home in 1913 and 1914. Lots of Whaley deaths in this home. With all this tragedy, I'm not surprised that it's haunted. The home is said to be haunted by another Anna. We have a lot of Annas in the story. Her name was Annabelle Waspurn. And she was a neighbor kid who was a friend of the Whaley kids. They often played together inside, outside, just neighborhood friends. She was playing in the Whaley backyard one afternoon where she ran into a low hanging clothesline at a quick speed and broke her neck. That sounds horrific. Ugh, poor kid. Thomas Whaley carried her into the home and laid her on the dining room table to stabilize her until help arrived. But unfortunately, she died there on the dining room table. The dining room is said to be haunted where lights flicker and turn on and off all by themselves visitors here have also reported hearing baby giggles and light little footsteps similar to the sounds of an 18-month-old little pitter-patters but there's no baby to be found mist have often been seen especially around the staircase and the parlor room is especially active the davis horton house is one of the oldest houses still standing in downtown san diego It was formerly known as the William Heath Davis house and previously served as a hospital. Many believe it's haunted by its former patients. And that's just the thing with these old timey hospitals, like the care wasn't really like the best of standards. So I'm not surprised people who have perished there, their souls are just kind of stuck. Hotel Del Coronado has a resident ghost by the name of Kate Morgan. Kate is a tragic tale of a woman in her mid-twenties who checked into the hotel alone in 1892 under the alias of Lottie Bernard, and she was from Detroit. What she was doing there and why she used an alias is unknown. A few days after check-in, her body was found on a back exterior staircase of the hotel with a gunshot wound to her head. It was determined to be self-inflicted, but there is some doubt there, and some people speculate that foul play was involved. Kate's spirit has never left the grounds of the Coronado. In her former room, she likes to flip lights on and off as well as the television, and she often creates cool breezes and cold spots. You may sometimes see her as a full-body apparition, but she never stays like that for long, often disappearing as soon as she realizes she's been seen. Another haunted hotel in San Diego is the Horton Grand Hotel, especially room 309. The Horton Grand Hotel is located in the Gaslamp District and was truly grand in its heyday. It's hosted everyone from Wyatt Earp to former presidents to actors and actresses. Room 309 may be haunted by former gambler by the name of Roger Whitaker. He was trying to escape a game gone wrong and to get out of paying money that he owed, and he was shot. He managed to run off and hide in his room and hid in the armoire. Unfortunately for him, the group of men that he owed money to followed him and easily found him. He was shot to death while still inside the armoire. His angry spirit still hangs around this room and likes to violently shake beds while Guster and them waking them up. He flips on lights, he flips lights on and off, moves personal items around, and he really likes to open and slam the armoire doors shut during the night. I would just simply not be staying in room 309. (laughs) The hotel may also be haunted by a lady by the name of Ida Bailey. Miss Ida had previously owned a brothel that sat on the very same land that the hotel now does. She often appears as a floating white mist and is overall pretty harmless. She just floats around but sometimes has been reported to cause cold spots. The hotel also has some unidentified ghosts and they show up as people in 19th century clothing who also enjoy flickering the lights and moving about the staircase. Let's move on to San Francisco. I've talked about the Golden Gate Bridge before on a previous episode about haunted bridges. With all the suicides there, I'm really not surprised there's still some spirits hanging out. But Golden Gate Park also has a ghost of its own, a policeman who apparently never got the message that he can stop working because he's dead. The ghost of the cop has been known to pull people over and hand them a legit-looking ticket. When the speeder goes to pay the ticket, the clerk tells them there's no record of it and therefore there's nothing for them to pay. And I don't know if I would be thrilled about not having to pay a ticket, not having that on my record or freaked out because I came in contact with a ghost without realizing it. Like he's got to be real good at his job. And this cracks me up because like he's obviously an old timey policeman. Like did he somehow like ghost his way into a newer police car or what? Because if a 1940s police car tried to pull me over, I would be like, somebody's just cosplaying as a cop. So this one's really interesting to me, how he does get people to pull over and write them tickets. You'd have to have a full interaction to be like, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? Speeding? Yep, yep, here's your ticket. Like, that one's fascinating to me. I do want to go speeding in Golden Gate Park just to see if I get pulled over by this ghost cop. Stone Lake in the middle of Golden Gate Park also has a ghost. A woman in white is known to ask visitors where her baby is. The legend goes that the woman once had her baby in a stroller while going around the park, and while she was distracted, it rolled into the lake. Unable to catch it or find her baby once it went in, the baby drowned in the lake. Sightings of her have been reported for over a 100 years. The Curran Theater was built in 1922 and owned by Homer Curran, the former ticket taker is still seen there, especially in a mirror in the entrance. His name was Hewlett-Tarr, and he was shot in a robbery in 1933. The robber was trying to steal tickets for himself and his girlfriend. And that seems like a terrible date. Like, that should be one date and done. And also, like, dumb criminals, right? Like, I know some other podcasts have segments called dumb criminals. And this guy, like, when you steal something, you run away with it right? Like if you're going to rob a bank or steal a car, you get it and you go. You don't steal movie theater tickets. Like you're going to steal the tickets and go inside and watch at least a 90 minute movie. Like you're going to go to jail. Like they're not just going to let you enjoy the movie and arrest you afterwards. Like this is so stupid. But I do feel bad for Hewlett. The man was just trying to do his job. He didn't deserve to get shot while being a ticket taker. Another ghost here is named Arthur, and he's still working backstage, moving around props and turning the lights on and off. He died here in an accident sometime around the 1940s. Lesser seen or heard is an actress who used to play here, and she's seen as a wispy, misty form when she does show up. The now Queen Anne Hotel was formerly a finishing school for girls run by Mary Lake, It was purchased for her by her fiancé, senator james fair in 1889 running the school was mary's dream but it was short-lived as the school closed in 1896 due to lack of finances mary has apparently never left the property though she's been seen in full form and you can also hear her footsteps in the halls she seems pretty helpful and useful though she's been known to unpack guest bags and even straighten up their items when they leave them in disarray She would love me. I act like a goblin in a hotel room. Like, my stuff ends up everywhere. And I would appreciate Miss Mary picking up my crap after me. Like, she wants to organize it. Miss Ghosty Girl, have at it. Thank you. Appreciate you. (laughs) The Chambers Mansion is a gorgeous Victorian that was built by Robert Chambers. He had a wife named Eudora who was known to be quite odd, but she preceded him in death. He left the house to his two nieces, but they apparently couldn't stand each other enough to live in it peacefully, so they split it in half. One niece, Claudia, died under pretty mysterious circumstances, and now the house is haunted by a lady in black, but it's been undetermined whether that spirit is Claudia or Eudora. An unseen presence also plays the piano in the middle of the night, and guests often report feeling watched or followed. I can't talk about haunted san francisco without talking about the infamous alcatraz i guess it's technically located in the san francisco bay and it's technically an island but you guys know what i mean san francisco alcatraz if i ever voted to san francisco definitely gonna go visit alcatraz alcatraz was originally used first as a prison for the military and even house confederate soldiers during the civil war in 1934 it became a federal penitentiary becoming home to the worst of the worst of America's most dangerous criminals. It was closed in 1963, but is is still open as a tourist destination. Horrible things happened here while it was open. Like, it's cold and dingy and damp in there. They didn't have the best food. And I know these prisoners were terrible, terrible people, but they were treated horribly while they were there. Uh, So, of course, you know, there's going to be some lingering spirits when that much human suffering happens in one place. The dungeon under Cell Block C seems to have the most paranormal activity, or at least the most angry energy. A former hitman that goes by the name The Butcher is known to haunt this area. Cell Block D is also extremely haunted and has an angry looming energy to it. It was formerly Solitary Confinement. Ruth McCain was a convicted murderer who spent three whole years in solitary. As soon as he was released and moved into the general population, he immediately killed another inmate. That guy's energy hanging around, just bad news. The whole place just feels dark and heavy, though. Moaning, crying, rattling chains, even gunshots, and even the sound of cell doors opening and closing can still be heard all over the prison. It's very, very active. Al Capone was sentenced here for a bit and apparently liked playing his banjo. If you hear a faint banjo sound during your tour, it might just be the spirit of Capone himself. Which this guy has been said just to haunt about everywhere from Chicago to California. So maybe I should do a future episode on where to find Capone's ghost. He's getting around in his afterlife, he's still a busy guy. All right, we're going to head back down south a little bit to Long Beach and to talk about the Queen Mary. She's just as infamous as Alcatraz. The Queen Mary was in service during World War II, transporting over 2 million passengers, including over 800,000 military members. The Queen Mary was built in Scotland for the White Star Line, you know, the same one that owned the Titanic. She took her maiden voyage in 1926 and won a Blue ribbon an award for reaching the highest speeds while crossing the Atlantic. She was named after King George V's wife, Mary of Teck, who was Queen of the UK and Empress of India from 1910 to 1936. I think that's quite an honor. Like, yeah, I know I'm a queen and whatnot, but to have a ship named after you, I want a ship named after me or even a boat. Like, if I need somebody someday to be like, yes, I am naming my boat after her i want that for me anyways the interior was gorgeous with the interior art with the interior being art deco designed and filled with modern luxuries of the time she didn't remain a passenger ship for long and was quickly converted to transport allied troops during world war ii ship travel declined in the following decades and she was bought by the city of long beach in 1967 where she remains docked but turned into a hotel restaurant event center This place is absolutely a tourist destination I would love to visit. They also offer haunted tours daily. At least 49 deaths have taken place on board during the ship's history. Some natural, some accidental. So I'm going to dive into the haunts in an article I found from travelandleisure.com. And the Queen Mary is a ship. I don't know if you caught that or if you don't have any knowledge of it. It is a ship. I probably should have noted that. But now it's used as a hotel mostly, and it is called the most haunted hotel in America. Although I'm sure there are other hotels that call themselves that. (laughs) So stateroom B340 is a very, very haunted room. In 1948, there was a third class passenger by the name of Walter Adamson, and he passed away in the room. Whether it was natural, accidental, foul play, don't know. His records were kind of lost at the time. And it really does give the Titanic vibes that he was third class. They probably didn't care why he died. They just said, oh, got a dead guy in there. Take care of it. In 1966, a, a woman who was staying in the room reported that she was woken up with, when the bed covers were pulled off of her. And she saw a man standing at the foot of her bed. She screamed and rang for help. And the man just apparently vanished into thin air before anybody got there. And I'm just imagining one of those scenes where it's like, I swear he was there. He was right there. You got to believe me. She was probably hysterical. That would be terrifying. Guests since then, because the room is still used, have reported hearing someone knocking on the door in the middle of the night and seeing bathroom lights mysteriously turn on and off. The hotel's maids even have made reports of bathroom water running when no one had been in the room for days. And sometimes the bed covers being pulled right off after they had just made it. That would piss me off. I'd be like, I already did my job. Do not touch this bed, ghost. Me and you are going to (laughs) fight. The Maratonya room is also said to be haunted. In 1989, two women were sent to clean clean this for a VIP reception. When they entered, they found a guest sitting silently on a chair in the middle of the dance floor. When a third woman came in to help with the cleaning, she remarked that the ghost was staring and she asked him to move. He didn't. So they decided to call security. I don't think they knew he was a ghost. They're just like, hey, we're supposed to be cleaning this ballroom. And this weirdo guy is sitting here on a chair. He won't move. They called security. And then he just faded right into thin air before security could arrive. And it's a weird thing. All three women saw him like clear as day, swore a human being was sitting there. He's gone before security comes. I probably wouldn't have cleaned that room. I would have peaced out for the day. Gotta go home sick. Sorry, ladies. The Mayfair room was once used as the ship's beauty salon, because you know these ocean liners gotta be a whole damn floating city. But now it's used as an office for the hotel employees. In 2001, a member of the accounting staff came into work early, like, real early, 5.30-ish for some reason. I feel like 5.30 a.m. is such a weird liminal time. Like, it's not exactly night anymore, but it's too early for people to be really doing things. So you run into like two kinds of people, people that are on their way to work or people getting off work or people that have been out all night who have not been to bed yet. It's just not a good time to be awake. I don't want to be awake at 530. I'm definitely not going to work at 530. Anyways, she just feels like it's weird. So she went about her job. She was getting stuff ready, getting sitting down to work and just felt super cold. And then later on, a few minutes later, she felt someone brush up against the back of her chair, but nobody was there. She knew she was there alone. And then just afterwards, she saw like a figure in white walk across the room and pass through the door. <laughs> I I would be out. And she absolutely was out. She grabbed her keys and like hightailed it out of there until everybody else arrived at a normal time, like eight o'clock definitely had a ghost up there working with her. Or maybe you disturb like disturb the ghost time. Okay, like it's still dark out. We let the ghost be the ghost. Don't interrupt them with you trying to get there early. The first class swimming pool is also said to be haunted and the pools kind of like in a room. It's a big pool room. And people often report seeing all kinds of things here. Usually a young woman in a tennis skirt, she walks downstairs and then kind of disappears into a pillar. A woman in an old wedding gown next to the pool with a little boy in a suit and they just kind of chill there and then a cloud of steam appearing out of nowhere along with a little girl in a blue and white dress who disappears almost as soon as you see her. Boiler room number four also has a resident ghost and it's a little girl and she's little little she's often seen sucking her thumb and sometimes has a doll with her. Hatch door number 13, lucky 13, of course it's haunted. (laughs) And some pretty gnarly things happened here. There was a crewman that was in an accident where he got crushed to death in this area. So in 1966, the watertight doors in the engine and boiler rooms were ordered to be closed. A few minutes later, a crew member from Yorkshire was found crushed to death in in the door of hatch number three, trapped with his arms pinned to his side. Although he was freed and carried to the hospital ward, it was too late. He, the signs of, he was already just crushed. His arms, chest, pelvis, all bleeding, like bleeding from his nose. He was just in bad shape. Those doors are heavy. They gave him morphine to keep him comfortable, but there was really nothing he could do. He had so many internal injuries. His ghost is here pretty often now, um, and when people are in this area, they often hear him running behind them and whistling, almost like a warning. Other people who have came in contact with him notice that when they go back to their room later, look in a mirror, there's fingerprints on their face, almost like grease, like, you know, like grease a mechanic would have on their hands. That's always seen on their faces. I don't know how like a ghost touching my face. <laughs> and he often appears in um, blue coveralls, like, you know, like a mechanic or boiler room guy would wear. So that is him. He is still hanging out there where he unfortunately died too soon. And he sometimes asks guests if they've seen his French, but when they go to say no, he just disappears before they even get an answer. That is a sum up of the Queen Mary in Long Beach. She is definitely on my list to visit, and that list was from travelandleisure.com. I feel like Northern California doesn't get a lot of love and I'm really not giving it a lot of love in this episode either, but let's go back up North. Let's talk about Napa Valley and they have some haunted vineyards because of course they do. So let's start with Baloo. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not by vineyard. It's in Rutherford and there's an older man there. He's often seen dressed in a double breasted suit and he just kind of hangs out in random rooms of the winery. The staff here believe he is the ghost of George de La Tour, who founded the winery in 1900. He's pretty chill, though. He's not a scary ghost by any means. He just kind of likes to still hang out here and see how his business is going. Charles Krug Winery is in St. Helena, and it's one of the oldest in this area. It was founded by Charles Krug, obviously. Name it after yourself, as you should. And it's now part of the Mondavi, it's now part of the Mondavi family of wines and when it was bought in 1943 by them. Often here people can hear a man's laughter in the production area near the cellar but nobody ever sees him. It's just disembodied laughing and not laughing at you but just like a chuckle like you know a happy jolly old man chuckle. I would be happy if I haunted a winery also. Freaking lit ghost. That's the way to go. Happy Charles Krug, still haunting his winery. Behringer Vineyards is just south of the Krug winery and it's huge. You see Behringer wines everywhere. They're cheap as hell. They're like $5 wines. They're not bad, but they're not great. They just, they just kind of are. This one has, this winery has what they call the Rhine House and it's in the center of the property. And apparently it has all kinds of ghosts also apparently Frederick Behringer's bedroom itself is the most haunted, and items just kind of fly around there seemingly all on their own, and a male figure has been seen walking the upstairs hallways. Trethethan Family Vineyards is also in Napa. It was built in 1886 by a Scottish sea captain, that's interesting, named Hamden McIntyre, and he kept it open all through prohibition as well. He even bootlegged out of it, which is brave to bootleg out of a winery. <laughs> the man kept it going. There's, a, there's some lore here that a young man broke into the winery to steal some wine and was caught by the bootleggers who immediately killed him at the winery. That's what you get, you little shit. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> visitors often claim to see a dark presence in that area and even like a shadow of a human swinging from the ceiling. That one would be disturbing. I don't want to see that. Napa River Inn. So this is more of a hotel than a winery itself. It was built in 1886 and it was originally a warehouse and a feed store, but now it's an inn and it's in downtown Napa. The son of the building's original owner, Mr. He was Captain Albert Hatt. This is Albert Jr. He took over it. He married a woman named Margaret in 1889 and together they had five kids. So Margaret Margaret died in 1906, and Albert Junior just could not get over her death, like just so grief stricken that he put himself into poor health that he died pretty soon after. And he apparently died in the upstairs of this building. So in room, in what is now room 208, people hear all kinds of like disembodied voices, footsteps, all kinds of spooky stuff sitting happening in there, and they do believe it's Albert Junior. So that is Napa. I would love to see Napa, too. Get some wine, go on some ghost tours. It really couldn't be any better. It sounds like a dream trip. And of course, California's gold country has some ghosts of its own, but they're exactly what you'd expect. They're mostly prostitutes, gamblers, cowboys, miners, prospectors, still haunting hotels and saloons. It's exactly what you'd expect there. I'm going to wrap this one up. Cali is definitely on my list of places I want to visit in the next year or so. Like, I have a whole plan. I don't know how it's going to work out. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fly into LAX, and then we'll just road trip, rent a car, and drive all these other places. And California is a lot bigger than I think it is. I don't think I can squeeze it all in in the time that I would be there. But we'll see. But anyways, I'll be right back next week with a brand new episode. But until then, please give us a like review. Follow on Instagram at Highly Spirited Podcast. Cheers. (laughs)